Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. series, A Christian Response, and we're going to cover a variety of topics as we look at how the scriptures are empowering us to have a Christ-like response to things that happen in our lives. And these are not things that are minuscule or unimportant, nor are they things that, you know, how do you say thank you for a gift of flowers? That's not what we're going to cover. We're going to begin today with something that will affect every human being, conflict. Conflict at its root is disagreement. It means that we are unable to stand aligned as we were. And so how do we work through that? And fortunately for us, Christ shows us exactly how we can approach conflict. Conflict happens anytime you have more than one person. But in my experience, conflict happens when it's just you and God. So we need to figure out how to work through conflict. And I will say this, now there are all kinds of unhealthy relationships, and if somebody is using conflict or disagreement as an excuse to cause you pain and suffering, whether that is mental, emotional, spiritual, or physical, that is wrong. That is sinfulness. And we are hoping that this is not where we're coming from today. If somebody is doing that, that is not permissible. But even without seeking to ramp up pain and suffering in this world, when there is conflict, it causes disequilibrium within us. It makes us feel as if things are at war. Sometimes it's in our heads, in our hearts, in our bodies, in our households, in our relationships, in our churches, in our communities, our schools, our jobs. Conflict arises because we don't all think alike. We don't all act alike. We don't all even worship alike. So we know that this is the reality of being humankind. Now last week, as we were remembering the events of September 11th, but also as we were looking for healthy ways to mourn, I talked to you about how there is something that is crucial for healthy mourning, and that is authentic community. And again, authentic community becomes an important part of how to deal with conflict. Authentic community is marked by three things, honesty, vulnerability, and faith. And so today, Jesus has been cultivating that for three years of earthly ministry with his apostles. He has been very honest with them. He has been vulnerable. They have seen him asleep. They have seen him being attacked by his adversaries. They have seen him eating and being a regular human being, but they have also seen him perform miracles that only God incarnate could do. And so he has been working on this with them. He has also been infusing their relationships and their community with faith. Faith in God and faith in him. And so when today happens, when it comes time for Jesus to confront something, he is relying upon the foundation of that authentic community to make this endeavor successful. And it starts with being honest and forthcoming. Now, I don't think anybody really enjoys conflict. I mean, if you do, that's probably a level of psychosis that's beyond a sermon. But we all know that there are some people who will shrink 
from conflict until it just explodes. Now, Jesus says, don't let it get like that. That is not where Jesus goes. In fact, Jesus is addressing it before it actually happens. Do you notice that? It's in the air. It's already there in the tension in the relationships because the night previously, Jesus and the apostles were dining at the house of a Pharisee, and while they were there, something happened. It was a triggering event. It was an event where a woman showed up, and she had a very costly, expensive jar, an alabaster jar filled with nard, to an anointing oil, and she used it to lavishly anoint the Lord. And his apostles and everybody else are watching this, and some of them are not feeling really great about what they're seeing. And Judas will say so. We could have used that to sell and taken the money and fed a lot of people. Now, Judas is calling out what he sees, but he's also building upon this authentic community that they've been cultivating. This seems very out of character for Jesus. Jesus has always been in favor of feeding people. He's done it himself to thousands of people. He even told his apostles, you feed them. So why would he not want to take this and feed more people? He also has never really been about gathering his own worship. That's not really something that he has done. Certainly people have knelt before him and they have honored him with titles and praise, but Jesus has never gone so far as the night before. Now, granted, this was this woman's idea. Jesus didn't call her forth to do this, but he received it and didn't stop her. And that's where the conflict is arising. Why did you let her do this? Now, Jesus, being God incarnate and having the foresight and the foreknowledge to know what is coming in the days and literally hours ahead, knows that this is an act of worship by her. It is a sign that subsequent generations will see as anointing his body in preparation for the passion and the suffering and the death that he will experience. And so he allows it. But in that moment, the apostles don't understand, and it doesn't sit well. It sits so poorly with Judas that he will leave that night, and he will seek out the religious authorities, and he will work out a deal to betray Jesus over to them. Because in that instant, he felt that Jesus is not the Messiah that I thought he was. He is not the leader that I thought he was. He has done something out of character. Now, he probably should have gone to Jesus after that meal and said, this still isn't feeling right to me. We need to have a conversation. I need you to help me understand why that was okay. Because I thought we were prioritizing the poor. I thought we were prioritizing meeting people's needs. Not that. But he didn't. He went and had another conversation. And Jesus knows of this. But Jesus also knows that there was this feeling in the room that something wasn't quite right, and people weren't pleased. And so the next time they're gathered together at the Passover Seder, Jesus decides to talk about it. He names it. And that's the first thing. He doesn't run. He's honest. And so he says to them, one of you will betray me. And they react probably like we would react if Jesus walked in here and said, one of you will betray me. Whoa, not me. I, me? I wouldn't do that. Now, some of us might offer up a couple names that we think might be in the realm, but we're not going to take credit for that ourselves. But here they all deny it. No, no, no. And Jesus says, yes, the one who dips the bread in with me will do it. Well, in the gospel account of Matthew, they've all dipped their hand in the, in the bowl. They have all been eating at the same table. They have all been sharing. And Jesus even goes on to say later on in the encounter, 
all of you will scatter. Because if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. They are all in their own ways going to betray Jesus. But of course, he is specifically talking about Judas. And so Judas, like the rest of them, says, well, surely not I, rabbi. Calls him by the title of teacher. And at this point in Matthew, I'm pretty sure we've hammered home that Jesus is the Messiah. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He is the Christ. And so even there, in the slip of the tongue, Judas betrays himself, his own thoughts, his feelings. I thought you were a teacher, and I didn't like your lesson. And now Jesus is forced to continue with what is happening. But you'll notice the next thing that Jesus does is he immediately stays. Have you ever been in a conflict with someone, and they come in, and they call out the conflict, and then they jet as fast as they can? Because they don't want to be there to see what happens. Jesus stays. Not only does he stay, but he re-engages. And he institutes the sacrament of Holy Communion. It is literally tasting God's grace. Forgiveness and love, unmerited favor, all rolled up into this incredible gift of the bread in the cup. And he gives that to all of them. All of them, after just recognizing that not only is his betrayer there, But Jesus knows that within 24 hours, they will all have gone. But he chooses to stay and be vulnerable with them. And he leans into that faith. So many times when Christians have something horrible happen to them or in a relationship or in their sphere, they will often withdraw. They will stay in their homes. They won't come to church. They will kind of cut off communication with their relationships. Jesus is telling you, lean in. Don't step back. Because those spiritual practices, those disciplines, those gifts, those ordinances, those means of grace are exactly what will help you get through the conflict. And if you ever want to resolve it, you're going to have to stay right there. And so Jesus gives them Holy Communion, which even now we recognize is an opportunity to be reconciled, not just to God, but to others. For those who earnestly seek to live in peace with one another, says the liturgy. And so Jesus is giving them reminders. Even after the sacrament of Holy Communion is given to them, then they sing a hymn, and then they go back out to the Mount of Olives where they've been staying. And as they go back out there, Jesus continues to talk about this, recognizing that sometimes people will do things and they don't understand why they're doing them. It is the fulfillment of a prophecy that they will betray him. It is a fulfillment of the the Psalms that they will scatter. And Jesus acknowledges that for them. But then you have Peter, the other betrayer. Peter doesn't turn Jesus over to the Sanhedrin. He doesn't give him to the chief priests. Peter isn't trying to get Jesus killed. But when it comes down to, I will not forsake you, Peter backs way off. But he doesn't think that's going to happen. He's very confident. He's very confident that his love for Jesus is enough. I think all of us want to respect that. I mean, if we're going to talk about somebody that we want to be like, we'd rather be like Peter than Judas. Judas makes us all very uncomfortable. For a multitude of reasons, Jesus makes Judas seem like the worst. But really, Jesus is giving 
equal opportunity to all of those who would betray him in one way or another, to recognize the pain that it causes. And so Peter, in his surety, says to Jesus, not me, not me. The others, they may betray you, but I will die with you. Jesus knows better. You say that now. But when your life is at stake, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And that's just before dawn. And that is really going to be the last encounter that Peter and Jesus are going to have. It's the last encounter that Peter and Judas are going to have before the actual kiss and the betrayal. And so Jesus needed to address it now. And Peter's left reeling. I mean, he is just absolutely convinced that this is not going to happen. And the others, they start to echo it. Yeah, not us either. We would never do that to you. But they've already been thinking about it. You can tell when, you're, when something has shifted in a relationship. It is wordless, but it is there. And Jesus knows it. They are getting very uncomfortable with what is happening. It was great when Jesus was performing miracles and healing people. It was great when Jesus was restoring eyesight to the blind and helping people to feel loved by God. It was wonderful, you know, getting all of those fishes and loaves when Jesus was multiplying food. All of that was great. But the closer they get to the cross, the more difficult this becomes. And if you've ever had a relationship that was torn asunder by conflict, then you know the closer that you get to the crossroads in a relationship, the more uncomfortable some people get. Are you going to go through or are you going to part ways? But Jesus doesn't leave. He doesn't dip out on them. He doesn't get overly emotional. Do you recognize that? Have you ever been in a conflict with someone, especially a verbal conflict, and suddenly they take it to a mean, dark place? Personal and vicious. But that is, Jesus doesn't do that. He stays very rational. He stays with the facts. And that's one of the great things about Methodism. I mean, I could name you a lot of great things about Methodism. But one of the great things about Methodism is that we are empowered through theological reflection on four different sources. Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. God has given us a great mind. And God is encouraging us to use it. So stay rational. Make sure that you're not telling somebody what's in their head and what they were thinking. But instead, talk about what happened and how it made you feel. That's appropriate. So Jesus is doing that. He's staying without the excess emotion and trying to deal with the actual problem. He's being honest, very vulnerable, and he's staying with them because he has faith in the authentic community that they have cultivated in the last three years together. And that's the hard part for us, is that when you've been in a relationship with someone, whether it's your family or your friends or your church or someone with whom you go to school or you work or even a neighbor in your community, when you start to have a conflict, it feels like we might not be able to go back. And that is true. You might not be able to go back. But we also serve a Lord who says the future is better. We serve a God who says, I can make things new so that what you thought was so great is just the tip of the iceberg. And Jesus is letting them know how committed he is. 
even though he's just identified that betrayers are in the room, in the circle, in the community, Jesus says to them, I will take this cup again with you in the kingdom to come, which my Father is preparing for us. We will be there. Now, Jesus has a lot coming down the pike. Jesus has a lot of things that are getting ready to happen. And he could be completely self-involved right now. But instead, he decides to spend this precious time before everything is torn asunder doing the groundwork for the reconciliation that needs to happen. How many of us would be like, let's just meet up in, in heaven and be okay with everything that happened? I mean, bygones be bygones. That was our last life. This is eternity. Let's just move on. Not Jesus. Jesus knows that to truly, to truly experience the glory of the kingdom to come, you had to have had done work here. You've got to do it here. And so he is showing us that. And I have been with countless people as they are approaching the end of this life. And there are a number of things that happen that they seek out or that they ask for. And sometimes it's reconciliation. Sometimes they want to be able to forgive somebody that has hurt them. Sometimes they need to have a conversation because they want things to be all right, at least, before they die in this life and are resurrected on the other side. And so that becomes really important. But we cannot wait until our deathbed, if we're so lucky to even know it is our deathbed, to do this work. Conflict will arise our entire lives. You can't just wait until the end and think that you're going to make it okay. We have to work on it now. Because conflict that isn't addressed, as Christ shows us, will fester. It will become a relational cancer that will not only eat you, it will eat others as they watch. And God forbid they should participate. It will infect all. It will destroy the community. You have to work on it. And that's why Jesus is showing them now. Because here's a spoiler alert for the rest of the New Testament. There's a little conflict. Some of it is in churches. Some of it is between the apostles. Some of it is just the reality of life. There is conflict. And Jesus wants them equipped. Jesus wants you equipped. He wants you to know that what you need, he has, and he is giving to you. If you need strength, ask and you shall receive. If you need courage, then take that through the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you need the words then do not the words of our worship, the prayers, the hymns, the words of scripture, do they not give you the words? But the will, that is you. Will you bring the will to work toward resolving conflict? And there are certain relationships where that is especially vital. And relationships within authentic community should be a priority. Because once we stop addressing who we are and what is happening, we cease to be authentic. We're not even honest with ourselves at that point. And we're certainly not being vulnerable by admitting that we're hurt, or we're confused, or we're not sure what's going on. But Jesus is walking that path for us, showing us, stay and work. Be honest and reasonable. And above all else, lean into your faith. 
It is a hard thing to be in conflict. It is a difficult thing. And I wish that we could all just be like my dogs. They had some pretty bad conflict yesterday morning. But last night, before it was bedtime, I was curled up on the couch, reading some things on my, my Kindle. And as I was doing that, Macaroon, my beagle, came and nestled on one side of me. And then Cholula, not to be left out, came up. And I thought she would sit on me, but no, she went over and she started licking Macaroon's face. And then when she was done with that, she curled up right next to her. And I thought for a minute, I wish it were that easy. I wish it were that easy. That on some wordless level, we all recognized that at the end of the day, we need to lick each other's wounds, help each other heal, and curl up together to make it through the darkness of the night. But if we know that, then we must live it. If we know that is what God is calling us to, then that's the hard work. And unfortunately, the world does not like to respond to conflict like Christ. The world likes to get even dirtier in conflict. The world likes to pick sides. The world likes to encourage us to not just meet our adversary and box, but to destroy them in whatever way we can. But that is not the way of Jesus Christ. And we don't come to the Lord into worship, into a relationship, into communion, into the waters of baptism to perpetuate the brokenness of this world. We come to be liberated from it. And so we have to make sure that we are doing the work. And that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have butterflies in his stomach before he said those words, one of you will betray me. It doesn't mean that there weren't moments where Jesus was like, I want to just bolt from the room. But God, God and Jesus knows that unless we confront and deal in a healthy way with the conflict, the conflict will destroy us as individual disciples and as the community. And Christ has given all that we would not suffer in that way. So the next time you're having to confront a conflict, whether you've messed up or not, I hope that you will take a look at the cross. Not just to see that it is the symbol of our faith, it is the symbol of God's justifying grace brought to fruition, but see it as a reminder that before his death, Christ did the hard work and is encouraging you. Maybe the cross in that situation becomes more like a stopwatch. It's running down and reminding us not to wait, not to wait until it's too late. For if you've ever had the experience of wanting to reach out to someone that you haven't seen for a while, life got busy and you wanted to call them or write them or go out to lunch and then they died. Then you know. You know that time is fleeting. So use every moment that you have. Use it to do the holy work. Because believe it or not, even in relationships outside of the community of the body of Christ, 
what you do and say and how you approach conflict there bleeds into here. But more so, God is asking that the way we approach conflict as Christians here might bleed into our lives out there and has not just bled for that truth, but has resurrected and risen, that we could have the surety, the power, the conviction to do what needs to be done. So at the end of every moment of hurt, when you recognize that conflict is there, follow the example of Jesus Christ. On the touchstones of honesty, vulnerability, and faith, may you not just continue to build authentic community, but maybe you and the other will be set free by the holy work that you do. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.